Good morning. Welcome to Grace City. My name is Matt Briggs, and I'm the family pastor here, and we're so glad you joined us this morning. We know you're being pulled a lot of different ways, and we know you're being asked to view a lot of online content, and screen fatigue is a real thing. And so we really are grateful that you took time uh, out of your day to be with us this morning. Now imagine this. You go into a doctor's office because you have the sniffles. I know that may be kind of scary right now, but just imagine this is a simpler time, and you go to the doctor's office with the sniffles. You check in, and they start to take you back, and they run the normal test. You know, they take your blood pressure, they check your temperature, they check your weight, and then they take you back to the room, and you sit on a table and with that really loud paper on it, and you wait because that's what you do at a doctor's office. And then after a few minutes, uh, somebody pokes their head in and says, hey, Uh, we're going to need to run a few more tests. And you think, this is pretty weird because I'm just here for the sniffles, but uh, I guess I'll trust them. And so you go go to the back and they take some blood and they make you run on a treadmill, which you don't like doing and you didn't want to do, but you trust them. And they take you back to the room and you sit and you wait some more and you wait some more. Really a pretty uncomfortable amount of time for someone who's just there for the sniffles. Then the doctor comes in, and you can tell by their expression that something is just not not right at all. And you look at the doctor and you say, what's going on? Why am I having to wait? Why am I having to run all this test? I just came here for the sniffles. And the doctor says, I don't know how to tell you this, uh, so I guess I'll just say it. Uh, Your heart is is given out. Your heart is broken. It's not functioning correctly. The blood is not flowing through your body. Uh, correctly, and um, the only hope for you is a heart transplant. That's the only thing that's going to make any difference in your life. And with those words, your mind begins to spiral. You begin to think about all the things you've done and all the things you haven't done. You begin to think about the people you love, your friends, your family, and you just go down this rabbit hole in your mind of stress and panic and anxiety. And then you just get to the end of that rope and you think, man, All there is for me to do now is wait for someone else to die. Because the sad reality of a physical heart transplant is that for the recipient to live, the donor has to die. In the Christian life, we believe that we have all sinned, that we have all messed up, that we've all fallen short of God's standard. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of, of God's glory, that we all have broken and sinful hearts. And then Romans 6, 23 says that the, what we earn for that sin is death. And this is the part where you close the laptop, you turn off the iPad, and you uh, go get some more ice cream. Because this guy's talked about death like nine times in the first 90 seconds. But just hang with me here. That's why we don't read halves of verses. Um, let me read for you Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We don't have to wait on someone to die to get our physical, our spiritual heart transplant because Jesus already has. Only with a completely new heart, only with a completely new birth can we enter the kingdom of God. And that's what we're gonna discuss today, the new birth that we have in Christ, that's available to us in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his sacrifice, and through the gift of God. And we're gonna look at all of this through the lens of a conversation uh, that Jesus has with a religious leader named Nicodemus in John chapter three. So take whatever uh, device uh, you're looking at for your scriptures and turn 
uh, to John 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, first we see Nicodemus, you know, who's a really important spiritual leader. Uh, he begins here to express some knowledge of who Jesus is and some acknowledgement of who Jesus is. And this is a big deal. And this humility comes, goes a long way. And we'll kind of touch on that some uh, later in the message today. But what I want to touch on in this moment is a detail um, that I think is kind of interesting. And it says that they were having this conversation at night. And I don't know about you, but I don't hold many important meetings in the middle of the night. And, you know, there's only one reason to have a meeting like this in the middle of the night, and that's because you don't want to be seen. And so why would Nicodemus care if anybody saw him having a conversation with Jesus? Well, a couple reasons. Maybe first of all, because Nicodemus was a spiritual leader. He was a really important religious figure. He was very smart. And so he didn't want to be seen um, asking questions of Jesus. And second of all, in his community, in his circle, Jesus was considered somewhat of a troublemaker. So he just didn't want to be seen at all in the presence of this troublemaker, of this upstart rabbi. So I just want to set the scene for you there a little bit. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? and be born. You know, this may not be a perfect interpretation of this, but kind of what I see uh, from Nicodemus here is a little bit of indignance. It's like, come on, Jesus. Like, I know that I'm not going to crawl into my mother's womb and be born physically again. You don't have to dance around uh, this principle with this story. Can you just tell me what's up? Can you just tell me what you're talking about? Let's just use plain language and let's, uh, let's skip the parable and let's just go forward. And as Jesus normally does, Jesus always does. He answers Nicodemus in grace and in patience. Listen here in verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is not a physical experience Jesus is talking about. And Nicodemus would have certainly known that. He isn't literally saying that someone has to be physically born again. It's a spiritual one where our nature is changed and made to be more like the nature of God. You know, I think a lot of times uh, we underestimate our sin nature. We underestimate um, what we need. Um, we think we're just a little messed up. But the Bible tells us that we are totally broken. And just like a broken and messed up physical heart, there's nothing that can be done. You know, there's no quick fixes. You know, there's no amount of eating right or exercise that can fix a broken physical heart. In the same way in our spiritual lives, there's no amount of giving. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of knowledge or scripture reading or church attendance that can make ourselves right with God. The only way for us to be made right with God is through a new birth and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus compares this Holy Spirit work in our lives to the wind. You can't necessarily see it, but you can't deny its existence either. Um, just like the wind, you ask anyone who's lived through a, a tornado, a hurricane, 
or even in a heavy thunderstorm, we can see when the wind moves through an area what it can do and the power that it can have. And that's the same with the Holy Spirit. In the same way, we, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving and working in someone's life. We can see that change it affects. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 with me. It'll be on your screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Someone who has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit is, will look different because of that work in their life. Now, are you telling me that like, because someone is not a Christian, they can't be good or they can't be kind or they can't be loving or they can't be patient? No, absolutely not. There's a lot of people that would, would, not, would not say that they had a relationship with Jesus, but they are indeed kind or good or patient. But what we see in the life of someone who's been transformed by Jesus is we see those things at supernatural levels that cannot be accomplished by any human effort and are not accomplished for human glory, but for the glory of God. You know, the Old Testament had always prophesied of this kind of change, of this kind of new birth. We see God literally breathe life into Adam in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we see God breathe life into a valley of dry bones through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that story, that's a pretty cool one. And Nicodemus would have known these stories. And Nicodemus would have known all this imagery, but he didn't really see himself in this imagery. He didn't want to hear this from Jesus. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Nicodemus didn't want to see himself as someone who is helpless. He didn't want to see himself as someone who was dead. You know, we all want to be the hero of our own story. We all want to believe that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But the reality is we're the ones that need to be saved. No one likes to hear that they can't do it on their own. But that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here, that that new birth can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Let's keep reading in John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. When it comes to learning about things we don't understand, we often turn our attention to experts to figure out how to live our lives. And I think we can see a clear picture of that in our lives now in the middle of this pandemic. We've turned to doctors and nurses and scientists to help us figure out exactly how to live and how to go about our lives during this unprecedented time. And so when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's recognizing him as the expert in this new birth, in this new life. And he's saying, Jesus, I don't have all the answers. And I need you to answer this for me. And I think that's pretty cool to see this humility, even in the midst of this conversation, see a little bit of softening in Nicodemus. And we see this eventually, if you read through the whole gospel of John, you eventually see Nicodemus coming to become a follower of Christ. And so when Nicodemus asks this question, we sure should be listening for Jesus's answer because Jesus is a divine expert on divine rebirth. The Bible tells us in John 1 that Jesus created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus dwelled in heaven, that Jesus descended from heaven to earth as a physical embodiment of the wisdom of God. 
So when he answers Nicodemus here, we should turn our ears to listen. So let's keep reading in verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is recalling the story here of Moses and the bronze serpent from Numbers chapter 21. And if you don't know that story, I want to recap it for you here. So Moses and the Israelites have just escaped from Egypt. God has miraculously delivered them. They have crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in the desert, and they're wandering in the desert, and they begin to complain. They begin to get upset. They begin to whine to Moses. Moses, we should have, you should have let us die in Egypt. Moses, we don't like what we're eating. Moses, aren't we walking in circles? Moses, 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 blah, blah, blah. And so God, and probably Moses, got tired of this disobedience, got tired of this ungratefulness, and God sent snakes into the camp to bite people. And when these snakes bit people, they were poisoned and they had a sentence of death from the poison. And so needless to say, they immediately regretted this ungrateful attitude, as you probably would too. And they come to Moses and they say, Moses, Moses, help us, help us. We've wronged God, help us. And so Moses goes to God and asks God for a solution to the poison problem. And God tells Moses, he says, make, the image, make an image of a snake and put it on a pole and lift it up above the camp. And anyone who looks on it will be saved from the poison. And so Moses does exactly as God says. He makes a serpent out of bronze and he puts it on a pole and he lifts it above the camp and everyone has an opportunity to see it. And anyone who looks upon the snake will be saved from the poison. And so when Jesus references this story, he's not so subtly emphasizing what the real answer to eternal life is. He's giving some foreshadowing of what's gonna happen in his life. He is the answer to our eternal life. He is the answer to our new birth. Jesus, like the bronze snake, was to be lifted up on the cross. That time of being physically lifted up and physical suffering accomplished our salvation. You know, the cross was a thing of, of shame in Roman civilization. It was a humiliating death and a painful one at that where you eventually died of suffocation. And instead of death, though, Jesus made this a symbol of life. And instead of defeat, Jesus turned this into a symbol of victory when Three days later, he rose again after defeating the death on the cross. What was impossible on our own was now made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. Just as the bronze snake was the conduit of God's love to the Israelites, so is Jesus the demonstration of God's mercy and God's love to save us. Even when we're ungrateful, even when we're like the Israelites in the desert, even when we sin against God, God still shows grace and shows mercy to us through Jesus and through that sacrifice. And that all comes, and that's all just a great gift from God the Father. And we're going to keep reading here. We're going to read John 3, verses 16 through 18. And I would ask you, don't let the familiarity of these verses rob them of their power. Um, you've probably seen John 3, 16 on a billboard or on an eye black or on TV, and I, and I know you've probably heard it before, but it doesn't change the fact that this is one of the most powerful words of Jesus to us. And I think God still has something to teach us through that each and every time that we read it. Uh, the Bible says that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when, I, when we read it this morning, when we read John 3, 16, I want us to look at it through new eyes in the lens of the conversation we're having today. So let's read in John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. In Christianity, we believe that God exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this doctrine is called the Trinity, and it's a super important doctrine in the Christian faith. I can't get into the ins and outs of it today, but I'll simplify it in this way, is that we see, in, even in this work of salvation, the three distinct persons of God working together to accomplish this new birth in the life of a new believer. The passage highlights that we just read that God, the Father, gave the gift of new birth with a high price, the death of his one and only son, Jesus. That realization for us should bring gratitude, should bring humility, should bring worship, should bring sacrifice. In fact, Romans 12, 1 says, Paul writes, he says that because of what Christ has sacrificed for us, really the only reasonable thing that we can do is worship. The only reasonable thing we can do is give our lives. His sacrifice should only be matched. We should try to match his sacrifice with ours. Apart from Jesus, we already stand condemned. There is no neutral ground. As we read earlier, we have all sinned. We're all messed up and we're born that way. We're either for God or we're against him. We're not struggling in the water and in need of a life preserver. We're already drowned. We're already dead. And we're in need of a resuscitation. We're in need of a new life. We're in need of a new birth. If you know Jesus, you have an urgent calling to share this news, this great news of God's gift with our neighbors. This love should compel us outward towards the broken world around us. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This great love that we experience should cause us to love others and share that love with others in our lives. And that's our mission and that's our aim, to take this gift of God by the Spirit and through the sacrifice of Christ to our neighbors and to the world around us. So that's the takeaway today. That's the, that's the takeaway from today's message is that we should go out into the world and share the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, right now we find ourselves in a world where people have lost their peace, they've lost their security, and everybody just kind of feels scattered and up in the air. We all probably feel this way at some level, but how much more so for those around us that don't know Jesus. So in this world that we find ourselves in, take the opportunity, come before God and ask him, who can I share the love of Jesus with this week? Who can I share this great gift with this week? Or maybe you're someone and you've, you find yourself this morning in a place where you don't know Jesus. You don't have that relationship with you, well, let me, with him. And let me tell you today, today is the day. This is the moment. There's no better time than right now. There's no reason to put this off any further. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to be fixed up to go to God. You don't have to get things right before you can bring yourself to him because he's already given that great gift of Jesus. He's already given 
his one and only son to purchase that eternal life, not only by his death on the cross, but through the resurrection that was accomplished after that death. So if you don't know Jesus, today is the day for that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for this opportunity to come and open your word together. And God, I pray, first of all, for those that don't know you, those listening that may not have that relationship with you, God, I pray that you would draw their hearts close to you in these moments and they wouldn't be able to rest until they got that right with you. And God, for those of us that, that do know you, for those of us that do have that relationship with you, God, I pray that we would stir a fire in us, that we would be compelled to go out into the world and share the hope that you have bought with a great price for us. And God, I pray for the world around us, for, for all of our friends and all of our neighbors. God, for those that are struggling in this time, God, I pray that where there needs to be comfort, that you would bring comfort. That where there needs to be peace, there would be peace. Where there needs to be joy, you would bring joy. Where there needs to be provision, there'd be provision. God, you know what we need even before we need it. So we just ask that you would move and work in each and every one of our lives in the days to come. God, and we love you so much. And we can only do that because of how much you love us to begin with. And we thank you so much for that. Never let us lose sight of that. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.